Welcome to the Voices of Freedom podcast by Freedom All Cart. We're your co-hosts, Devin and Mandy. Each week, you'll hear mind-blowing interviews from survivors and professionals, as well as actionable tips that you can implement in your life to become an advocate for human trafficking survivors. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now let's jump into this week's episode of Voices of Freedom. Today we have a kick-ass woman who um, is big in our anti-human trafficking movement and community. Uh, We have Sergeant Dana Hess, the director of Central Ohio Human Trafficking Task Force, uh, working with the Attorney General's office. Um, I've had the pleasure of spending time with her in various settings and even um, being a part of a couple sting operations, which was really cool and insightful for me. Dana, do you want to share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you guys for having me today. It's really great to be here. Um, I've actually never done anything like this before. I've done like media interviews, but this is way cooler than a media <laughs> interview. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you've yes. done a podcast. No, more, I've never done a podcast. It's more intimate, less yeah. pressure. No one's looking at you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, except for you guys. Yeah, Yeah, so uh, I've been in law enforcement for about 14 years. Um, I waited to start my career until my kids were a little older. My youngest, I wanted to wait until she was in kindergarten. So for the most part, I stayed home with my kids when they were younger. And it was extremely challenging to go into law enforcement um, when I had young children Mm. because shift work, and some of the experiences I had to deal with were, you know, very stressful. And yeah. it, it impacted my, I feel like it impacted my ability to be as good of a mother sometimes as I felt like I should be, just because I was exhausted or, or stressed out or irritated. And I look back and I wish that maybe I had maybe sought some counseling or, or talked to somebody mm-hmm. about some of the, because it's very traumatic, some of the things that we have to deal with. Um, I can't imagine. Yeah, so most of my career I spent, um, before I got promoted in 2016, I was a patrol officer. I also have been an instructor at the police academy for recruits. I was a field training officer. I was a member of the Columbus Police Honor Guard for 11 years. I was the treasurer, um, and I was on the executive board for that. Um, I've done a multitude of other types of trainings and certifications, um, over my career. When I got promoted, I was a patrol supervisor in Linden, primarily um, but when I was uh, what they call relief, I was all over the city. So I have literally been in every single area of the city as a police officer. Yeah, you've been busy. Yes, very, very busy. So, so that's my life. <laughs> so um, before we jump into the heavy questions, what did you do this weekend? Anything fun? Oh my goodness gracious. So <laughs> I uh, have sold my house and I'm moving to a new house. So I did some packing. That's and not fun. <laughs> I'm also going to school full time right now. So oh, I did a oh lot of homework. <laughs> so I write papers. That's all I do is write papers. Yeah. All the time. What are you going to school for? Public safety leadership and management. Okay. So yeah, I just I want to make myself more... Uh, intelligent, better leader, and maybe more marketable for other mm-hmm. opportunities, things like that. Yeah, I'm in school right now too, and I spent my I had some alone time on Saturday, Sunday. Sorry, all right. Gosh, it's Tuesday. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I had alone time on Sunday. Like nobody was home. My son, my husband, nobody. And I'm like, I'm gonna do homework. <laughs> like I have quiet time to like focus on homework. It's, what we do in our spare time. So 
I'm curious, um, I like you gave your uh, professional background um, and how you moved up into the position you're in, but how did you get um, connected with the anti-human trafficking movement or, you know, what, you know, what motivated you to get involved in this particular um, work? That's a great question. So in 2018, I was the supervisor for a program called Safe Streets Initiative, which is funded by the mayor's office. And one of my responsibilities as the supervisor of the unit was to attend a lot of community meetings. And in a two-year period, I, I, I attended over 300 different community meetings, events. So I was out in the community yeah. listening to what people were had issues with, and one of the consistent Complaints, and I was I was specifically in Linden, although I did have some um, uh, attachments to the West Side and to the South Side. The one thing that people kept saying to me over and over again, "You've got to do something about this prostitute issue. You've got to do something about this prostitute." And I'm like, "Yeah, I got to figure out what's going on with this." And it was right after all of the um, investigations involving the CPD Vice Unit when it was disbanded. So there wasn't anyone that was addressing the, the issues that were going on in those areas. So I started uh, doing my own personal research and I got, I met uh, Hannah Estabrook and I went to uh, catch court for the first time I met Judge Herbert, who now are two of my favorite people on this planet. Same. Abs I mean, <laughs> awesome human beings and so supportive of me and everything that I've tried to do. And um, so, after I started to get a little bit more of an understanding, because I, it's really hard. I think most people think they know what human trafficking is, but you really don't. Yeah. And you really have to educate yourself and ask questions of people who do know what it is so you can be more informed. And so um, Hannah asked me to be on the board of directors for Sanctuary Night, which is the drop-in center. I'm, I know you guys are all aware mm -hmm. of it. Um, that's being built on the west side. It was an amazing project for me to be a part of. And then when I got selected as the director of the task force, I was asked to step away from any non-profit. It was, I literally cried. It Aww. was so incredibly hard for me. And H Hannah understood, everyone understood, but I was so passionate about, it was something I was doing outside of my job. It was, yeah. it was something I felt like I was doing for me. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, I realized the conflict of interest and I didn't want to cause anybody any issues, but that was really hard. But that's kind of what got me started. Definitely Hannah and Judge Herbert. So Hannah gets mentioned in every single episode. <laughs> Just so you know, Hannah will finally be on next week's episode. Um, this girl has been talked about, like like Mandy said, every episode. So I was laughing when you mentioned her name. But yes, we'll finally have her on next week. She's just such a good person, too. I'm like, she makes me feel better about myself. Yes. yes. <laughs> She's very mm -hmm. pure. Mm -hmm. Very pure. That's, like, my favorite word to describe Hannah. Mm -hmm. So why did you want a career in law enforcement? Um, so I was raised in a home. My dad is a Vietnam veteran, and my grandparents, my grandfathers, were both in World War II, and I really wanted to join the military. And I had some medical issues, so the military wouldn't take me. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of devastating to me. And then life started happening. I started having kids and a family. But I knew I always wanted to do something service-oriented. And so I started researching it probably around 2004, 2005, when my kids were still pretty young. And I started the process. It, it's a long process to become a police officer. It took me, but from the first time I applied until I started the academy, it was 
probably close to 15 months. Wow. Yeah, and then once you, then you have to go through the academy for six months, and then you're on probation for six months. It's it's a long process. Mm. Um, I hope I answered your question. I just realized I felt like I just went off on a tangent. No, yeah, you're <laughs> no, you're good. Okay, no, it's good. No. So I've I've been able to experience how your task force works and. Um, I think the officers on your team are amazing and very compassionate and kind to people that come through um, the sting operation. Um, so I'm curious, why do you feel what and how you do what you do is so important for this movement? The one thing about our task force that is different than pretty much any other unit I've ever been around or, or know about is just how victim-centered we are. We care so much about ensuring that whoever we come in contact with, that we are trying to support them in every single way to get them out of the situation they're in and into a situation where they can be successful. Um, I hate the word rescue. I don't like, like I, I really try hard not to use that word. Um, for me, it's more about we just want to reach as many people as we can and try to be positive influence in their lives. I think the one thing that most people don't realize about us, um, we're a team of, uh, we combine investigators, analysts, and um, victim advocates, but what is so neat about it is, most people would make an assumption that our victim advocates are the ones that do all the caring, and that's not true at all. Um, every single one of our investigators are always aware of what's going on with each of the victims in their cases. And these cases are so complex and take so long to investigate and prosecute um, all the way through to adjudication that, it, you know, like in a homicide, I know this is a horrible comparison, but in a homicide, the victim unfortunately has died. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have that, you're not trying to take care of a person where in our cases we have a whole collection of human beings who need our support mm -hmm. and so it could be two three years of wow. constant phone calls constant touch and base um something else i think we're a little bit different like this year and i'm i'm not trying to say like we're the greatest things in sliced bread or anything but <laughs> something that but we really do care like we're gonna try to find um some families to adopt this year who are human trafficking survivor families um, I I thought because I keep going back to this because I think it's remarkable. Um, you know, when I was at the lasting operation, um, and I, I absolutely love being there and being a part of it. Um, I thought it was really remarkable that like there are different um, law enforcement agencies involved in your task force, like the FBI, um, the CPD, and other. Um, jurisdictions I don't know the law enforcement language but <laughs> um and it was really cool to see like this FBI agent who has such a tough looking exterior um be one of the most compassionate people involved in the in the operation and um being able to relate and hearing this man share like man I've been through some stuff and you know I've made mistakes and and you know just to hear somebody with such a I mean, law enforcement is scary for a lot of people. Um, and to hear them be vulnerable and share a mistake they've made or, um, you know, just relating to the people being arrested or um, coming through a sting. I don't know. It was just a really amazing thing to witness. Um, 
On that note though, I'm curious, um, do you in your task force or other task force involved um, in the human trafficking um, movement, do you guys take um, like precautionaries to make um, the arrest be less traumatizing? Um, especially for when we have to target a victim in our case. So someone that we are trying to reach um, for us, yes, I try very, very hard to make sure we tell all the officers on the arrest team, hey, we're not going in there screaming, we're not, you know, we're not doing anything scary, just walk in, you're under arrest. Um, and a lot of people ask us, why do you have to arrest victims of human trafficking? It's, it, I'll be straight up with you, it sucks. We don't really, I hate it, I don't really want to do it, but sometimes that's the only way that we can intervene in their lives. It's mm -hmm. the only way that we can get in front of them, get them services. Um, so, I mean, we've had several people tell us going to jail was the only thing that really saved them. And the one thing that we do that I think we go a little bit above and beyond too is a lot of times we just issue them summons. So we give them a court date. Um, and that's another area where we all seem to disagree because, uh, you know, the, a lot of the court staff believe we have to slate them, slating means going to jail, um, so that they can get potentially in front of, you know, maybe the catch court staff, but it's hard for us because we need these, the victims to cooperate in our cases too, and if we're rushing them off to jail, I, I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to do a lot of talking if you're going to take me to jail. Right. Yeah. And so if we, you know, like in our last sting operation that, you know, that you were a part of, one of the um, one of the females, she was a sweetheart. <laughs> one of our officers, his keys accidentally ended up in her purse when we issued her a summons. Oh wow! And so at the end, everyone's like, "Where? You know, where's his keys? Where's his keys?" So he didn't have keys to his car. Oh my well, gosh! Even though we, you know, she was involved in the sting operation, and you know, she found the keys in her purse and called us. Even though we, you know, issued her a summons for court and said, hey, I found these keys, they're not mine, met with us, gave us the keys back. So I ended up calling down to the court and I had all the charges dismissed for her. And then now we've got a really positive contact with her. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we, you know, I mean, we're, we're not mean, horrible people. No. We try really hard to take care of everyone. And our ultimate goal is, is to get them out of a bad situation. Right. Right. My my question for you is, I think maybe we should ask this beforehand, but can you tell us like what exactly you and your team do? Like, I know that you say you're the Human Trafficking Task Force, but what is that for the general public? Okay, that's a really good question too. So, Vandy, stuff like that. yeah. Well, you asked me. Um, you you pointed out that we're like super diverse on the task force. Yeah. So we're we are composed of 11 different agencies and there I have 21 people who work for me right now so we have everything from Franklin County Sheriff's Office to CPD the FBI um, Homeland Security adult parole authorities we have a, like a great combination which is why I think we are very effective because we collaborate with so many different uh, agencies. Does each state have their own human trafficking task force? Um, Ooh. That's a not really. Okay. No. <laughs> and it, it's more like we're really fortunate because Attorney General Dave Yost um, cares so much about the issue 
and we have, when I started, when I took over the task force, there were only four human trafficking task forces in the state of Ohio. Now at this point, there are nine. Okay. And just as recently as a little bit ago, there were only eight. And mm -hmm. now there's one in Hamilton County, too. That's um, incredible. Yeah. Because a lot of things are happening in those small towns because people think there isn't law enforcement or there isn't really an eye out here, you know, because I remember when I was um, involved in the lifestyle and I had a particular person transporting me from Columbus to Chillicothe or um, Columbus to Morrow County and like those small counties because it's easier to get away with crime. Absolutely. Well, there's fewer people watching. There's fewer people. Yeah. And the one thing that we've done on the task force, which has been extremely successful, not only have we helped to train some of the newer human trafficking task forces, but we've also trained multiple suburban agencies in central Ohio of how to conduct a John Stink or how to, and you know, I mean, we ultimately are gonna handle all of the human trafficking cases but they need to understand what, what to look for and how to connect with us. So, um, so that's been super successful too. What is a John Sting? Um, so when someone buys sex, some you know, like they get on the internet, they look for an illicit ad, they you know, and they'll pay someone else for sex. We are targeting those people, and I'm going to say people. It's men. It's almost 100% men. I've never, I'm sure there are women who do it. I've never seen one yet. Um, but so we target the men that are paying for sex. And that's what you guys call a John. That's a John. Okay. Correct. Correct. <clears throat> and then the other types of stings that we do are when we have to unfortunately target the victims. Um, but like we just talked about, it's kind of a different dynamic. One of the things that Mandy and I've had several discussions about is are sex buyers, should they get the same treatment as sex sellers as far as being victims? Are and when, when Dana says sex sellers, she means someone who is prostituting or a victim of human trafficking, just to clarify. Yeah, it's, it's really, in this space that we're in, all of us are trying so hard to be politically correct with all the terms that we use, and I never want to be offensive to anyone, so... Yeah, it, it's a really hard like, people ask me all the time. Like, why do you say that? Nothing makes me more mad now I, I actually don't like the word prostitute, but it's it's the word that everyone knows So and I think be, for me being a survivor myself um, Language is really hard because on any given day. I could personally identify differently um, Like lately I've been struggling with the word survivor. I almost hate it. I hate when people refer to me as a survivor Um and so, but other women, you know, it's really empowering. Like, I am a survivor. And I was there a year ago where I'm like, I'm a survivor. And now I'm like, if one more person calls me a survivor. <laughs> so, like, the language is really hard. And that's something, like, Hannah and I are um, currently um, researching together and trying to get some surveys out there to, to the survivor community of, like, what is the language, what language do survivors prefer or what word did they identify within the streets versus now and absolutely i think the one thing too and i know you can probably relate to this is nobody wants to be a victim either no so when you like for us i try very hard not to use that term now from a political standpoint or from a statistical standpoint we have to use the word victim because people understand it yeah but like uh, i was uh 
um, I was a victim of a criminal uh, case at one point, and it's it's not empowering at all no. to me. You know, you feel so vulnerable, and mm -hmm. so I don't. We're not trying to re-victimize people by calling them victims, but we we have to get them out of that situation and in order to get the resources that we need. That's how we have to. So so forgive us. If we call you a victim, we're not. It's, it's not a derogatory term. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard. The language is really hard, and I've I've learned that the more public speaking I do when I'm speaking to this audience versus that audience, do I use this language versus that language, and it's hard. It's a hard thing for this community of people. I think absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, given all of that, and obviously the very traumatizing work you do and situations you're involved in, how do you practice self care? So I love yoga. I've been doing yoga for about 20 years. That helps me a lot. Um, I, I cannot picture you doing yoga for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do like the crazy yoga that's like hot yoga. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, can I, I'll give a shout out to Harbor Yoga in Dublin because I love Harbor Yoga. I've been going there for years. So if you want a really, really challenging workout, go over to Har Harbor because it's, it's super awesome. <laughs> But um, no thanks. <laughs> I think the one thing I do too. I have been so blessed. I have two best friends, and one of my best friends I've been friends with for 25 years, and the other wow. one I've been friends with for almost 19. And actually, the three of us are really, really close. So when I need somebody to talk to, or you know, I, I have a few people that I can reach out to and kind of, you know, talk through things with. And I have my dog who I love with all my heart. Oh, yes. He's the love of my life. We're dog lovers. Yes. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? He's a Cavachon, so he's King Charles Cavalier and Bichon. Right? Okay. Yeah. I literally have no clue what that is. I only know what one of them is. <laughs> he's a little, loving, white, fluffy dog that doesn't like shed. Well, when I bought, when I got him, they said he'd be 17 pounds, and he's 35. <laughs> um, so, but he's still my lap dog. And yeah. He's just a, a sweet, little, loving boy, and... Aww. He's made my life so much better. See, that's so that's how my bassets are. Yeah. Um, I think we mentioned earlier how, well, Mandy mentioned how, um, you know, she sees these FBI agents who look like mean and um, wouldn't think that they're like soft and caring and empathetic. Um, what are some stigmas that you struggle with as a law enforcement? Um, especially in the last couple of years, it's been really challenging. I mean, I, it doesn't matter for a law enforcement officer if you're white, black, female, whatever you are. Everyone makes this assumption that you're racist, and which is very, it's really hard because, especially for me, I try so hard to treat people equally and be fair and, and loving, and I'm sure that there are officers out there that, that do bad things, but I don't think it's the majority. I think it's very much the minority, and so the stigma of you know, that we're all racist. It's just not true. Um, and also, like, I think people think we're like robots. Mm -hmm. the, you know, just because we, I don't wear a uniform anymore, but when I did, it was so funny because people would be like, oh, I saw you last week. And I'm there's only 200 female police officers for CPD out of 2,000 officers. So there's very few of us. Wow. And I'm like, you didn't see me last week, but just because all they see is a uniform, they don't see a person. Mm -hmm. And what would make us a little bit different is females, because we're in such the minority, um, we're a little bit more, you know, remembered. But I hear guys say that all the time. They're just like, we're just, people don't see us as real human beings, you know. They're just, we're just like these robots who walk around and just arrest people. And I know a lot of great guys out there who have spent their own money on a weekly basis to 
get homeless people food, mm -hmm. you know, to do special things for people, and they don't they don't tell anybody what they're doing. So, yeah. You know. I have a, another question about the job. Um, how long do you guys like have a case before you have a sting? Like, does that make sense? So. Sometimes sting operations and cases are separate from each other. Uh, like for example, last year, like a John sting has nothing to do with any of our cases. Really. Oh, okay. Because if you think about it, sex buyers, they're fueling human trafficking. You know, they're the, they're the reason why human trafficking keeps occurring, but they're really not a part of our investigations because we're typically trying to get um, this... Let's say the trafficker, yes. the trafficker and the sex buyer do not typically have a relationship, so they're no. not connected. No, other than the money exchanging hands, maybe, maybe the sex buyer. So you're more after the trafficker him, themselves. Correct. Okay. We're we are going after the people who are exploiting the vulnerable members of our population. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did I answer your question? Because you yes. asked me another question, and I, I feel like I didn't answer it. But. No, you okay. did. I wondered, I just was wondering. Yeah, so, like, like the sting operations are, um, like, top secret when they are and stuff, but they're more random. Like, mm -hmm. you don't know who's going to come through. Right, which mm -hmm. makes sense now that unless you guys explain we, it. Unless we specifically, let's say, say I get a tip, and let me explain this to everybody so that you guys understand, too. When you submit a tip to like the National Human Trafficking Hotline, or you call the police and say, hey, I know, I think something's going on with human trafficking, all that information in Central Ohio comes to me. I entered into a case management system, and then we have four analysts who will um, research the data and see if there's human trafficking present. If there's no human trafficking, a lot of times maybe another crime is occurring, so we'll send it to a unit so that they can deal with that crime. If there is human trafficking, that's when we start doing all of our evidence gathering and our sting operations because we need to get in front of potential victims. Mm -hmm. So we might can do a sting operation just for one person, just so we can, you know, and I'm, I'm going to say her, it's not just females, but I'm just going to mm -hmm. use that. Um, we'll do it so that we can get in front of her. And then that's when we offer services. We say, hey, you know, we're here to help you. Some people take it. Some people take it right away. And other people are at different stages of being ready. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it might take us talking to them six, seven, eight, or more times before they're ready. Speaking of working with the, the survivors, um, can you tell us a story that you don't have to share intimate details, but has stuck with you forever? For survivor? Like... Human trafficking. Just really. a just a story that's like pulled on your heartstrings during your time in this movement. I guess it doesn't have to be, okay. but something that was like, oh, this is gonna stick with me forever. There's a there's a you know there's a girl, and why she it was impactful to me was because she was about the same age as, as my older daughter, and you could tell like you could tell that she was a beautiful girl, but you could tell life had been really hard on her. She had a lot of of um, marks on her face she had some bruising so someone had clearly been doing some things to her her teeth were pretty bad but if someone had loved and nurtured her and she hadn't been in that situation she would have probably flourished and had done really well and so it was during a sting operation and she sat down in front of me uh, mandy's seen it before we we have different uh stations that we have once someone's under arrest and 
I asked her for her personal information, and she said she was about my age. And I thought, hmm, you look like you're in your 20s, even though life's been kind of hard on you. And I'm almost, and I, you know, I mean, I'd like to think that I look good for my age, but I know I do not look like I'm in my 20s. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, well, she's not going to tell the truth, but that's okay. We Because we always can figure it out. Yeah. And so what was really funny, and I'm not, not making fun of her, but the information of the person that she gave had a warrant. Oh. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna lie about you know say you're someone else you might want to say you're someone else who doesn't have a warrant, and so it was so funny because when she finally gave us you know her because we could have charged her with falsification for saying she was someone else when she finally said who she was she didn't have a warrant and I'm like why are you lying and saying you're someone else but she started crying immediately and once we told her like look we're not gonna take you to jail just. You know, we're here to help you. She started sobbing. She said she started telling us all kinds of things, and now she's um, one of the most cooperative victims in one of our major cases. And it mean all you know, she had, she didn't have the trust. She didn't you know we we didn't yeah. we didn't we had not earned her trust yet. But once we said to her, you know, look, we know you're going through a lot. We're we're, we're trying to help you. You don't have to lie. It's okay. And once she saw that, it was like this wall dropped, and it was a very moving experience for me. You know, any anybody that we get in front of, anyone that we're able to reach, like their successes are our successes. We want them to succeed. Mm -hmm. So when they yeah. fail, we feel like we failed. And that's as far as like dealing with that on a daily basis from a work perspective is really that's where we get kind of sad sometimes because you know recently we had one of our victims who was doing so well she had been sober for like 90 some odd days and her traffickers kind of got back in front of her and she overdosed and died uh -huh. and that was like I had two members of my task force calling me the entire weekend was really struggling with it and it's it's something we deal with all the time it's very emotional yeah, mm -hmm. I get that. Yeah, you know, it's something Mandy, you and I've talked about before. We don't just try to get you know the quote unquote victims into treatment. If we have a trafficker who wants help, we will help them too. We are trying to help everyone. Anyone who asks, who says, "I want help," we're going to do everything we can to try to help you. You know, just because you've made some really poor decisions in your life and you're you know maybe not the best human being doesn't mean we're going to write you off yeah was, and not everyone out there is ba a bad person either i think a lot of times um you do what you know and mm -hmm. if you've grown up this way your whole life like it's very normal to do these illegal things or bad things and you know hurt people hurt people absolutely so absolutely. you know i'm really compassionate about yeah. um yeah about all of that yeah. well <laughs> and i think through our conversations it's really if you would have known me 20 years ago, I was probably, I mean, not that we're going to talk about politics, politics, but I was a pretty conservative believer um, of most things. And as I've aged, especially going through the human trafficking, um, you know, situations that I've seen, I've, I've gradually, I'm like, I was kind of moderate for a while, and now I think I'm kind of, you know, over more on the liberal side of things. <laughs> I just keep shifting yeah. as I see it, because you see how hard people are struggling just to live day by day. And 
you know, I was raised in a very loving home that I didn't really have to, to worry about those things. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. You know. Yeah, so um, as the director uh, of the Human Trafficking Task Force for Central Ohio, um, what is your main goal, like big picture goal? So I feel really fortunate because in the last year, um, I wrote down a lot of goals for myself about a year ago. And as a task force, I shouldn't say for myself, for our team, we have achieved almost every single one of those goals. Wow, that's awesome. And I'm really excited about it. Um, we implemented a new program called the Human Trafficking Liaison Officer Program, which is a way to train people who are on the front lines. We don't just train law enforcement officers. We train fire, social workers, um, like Southeast Healthcare is going to participate this time, members of the REACT team. REACT is um, like people who go out on overdoses. To help, I love the React team. Yeah, I'm. I have a couple of friends on the team. So, do you have a goal um, that you're like trying to, I guess, accomplish before the new year? Or we, I know you said that you were working on crossing off your goal list. Oh yeah, but yeah. I think I would like to see us continue to increase our case caseload. Um, in 2019, we had seven open cases. 2020, we had 14. Right now, we have 28. And so every year we just keep increasing the number of cases. At some point, that's not going to be, uh, we're not going to be able to keep up with it. Right. I mean, I can tell you in the month of October, we had 40 tips that we were, wow. um, and we normally only average about one a day. So we were, wow. we got a lot of information in, in the month of October. And I think that one of the reasons for that is I think the community is finally starting to get a better understanding of what to look for. You know, it's, we used to get tips people would call and they're like we, we just saw this white van and there were <laughs> girls in it and we think they're human trafficking and we're like okay well we really can't do anything with that there has to be some kind of specific it's not illegal to ha it, have yes. little girls in a white van no no and i know this candy van is scary but no and, and that, that's the kind of or alternatively like at the mall um because of social media, there's a lot of false information going around out there. Everyone's like scared. I had somebody call me the other day and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm scared to take my kids to Target. I'm like, why are you scared to take it? Because they're, they're human trafficking kids. From I'm like, okay, look, if people were really being kidnapped from Target, there would be Amber Alerts. It would be all over the news. Mm -hmm. and, I said, and I said, I'm pretty sure Target cares very much about protecting their customers. I'm, I, I can tell you it's probably yeah. just a social media. Yeah, know. I've seen that stuff. Like if, yeah. they, if you see a, a, people are putting a, a rock on your tire when yeah. it's parked because they're like targeting you. I'm like, that is not no, real. It's not <laughs> real. It's, it really isn't. And that makes our jobs harder because... So many people are calling yes. with stuff and like we that. We take every single tip that people send us, we take very seriously. Uh, I just think the biggest thing... and. You guys asked me at the very beginning like of what I would want people to take away from this and is educate yourself. Get out there, read as much as you can, volunteer as much as you can, understand the issue of human trafficking and don't just believe random stuff that you read on the internet because it's just not true. Try to understand the issue. And you can be and once you're more informed, you can be able to help us get mm -hmm. the information we need to, to investigate these cases. I think that was a great wrap-up. Yeah, you're amazing. Aww. I love spending time with I, you. I know. She's one of my favorite people. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, she's, she's so cool. one of the things um, that I'll never forget about Mandy because it really made me feel like I she made me feel really good about myself. And I, <laughs> I, I, it's funny how altruism works. Like you do something for somebody else, but then it makes you feel good. <clears throat> At the catch court graduation. I wanted to go up and say hi to her because I knew she was speaking, and um, and she and I didn't really have like a like close relationship before that. But I always respected you and I always really liked you. And I walked up and I asked you if I could hug you. I said, "Can I hug you?" And you were like, "Thank you for ask- asking me." And it made I was like, "Oh my gosh, I did something right." <laughs> I was like, "Yes." So yeah, because people don't, and I'm not yeah. I'm not a hugger. And- well, thank you guys oh. so much for. Yeah, we really appreciate you, and and I think some of the things you shared will be so insightful for people, um, especially around like stigmas for law enforcement officers. Um, because you know my personal experience has always been great. Actually, um, yes, I've been arrested. Yes, I went to jail. Yes, I was angry. You know, all those things. But had I not, um, I'd probably be dead today. Um, you know, I I was on a dark path and officers um you know they remembered who I was and they, they'd mess with me even like in a and not in a bad way but they get on their loud speaker in their patrol car and be like Mandy go home <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> and you know the officers um I had some experiences where I wasn't arrested and in that life you know I'm like yes I didn't go to jail but you know um the ones that did find, arrest me my last time getting arrested, you know, I don't know who they are and I never will. My record's expunged, so all the records aren't there anymore. But I wish I could be like, thank you so much. Like, here I am today. You may not even remember me. Um, you made me think of something that um, I like to say regularly, and I've heard other police officers say before, too. No one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. And But I love hearing stories about, like, people that were really good to you because I know all of those officers out there that are so good. We we do appreciate you joining us today and we appreciate the listeners taking time to um, listen and help educate themselves and their family members and their friends and we want to remind you to use your voice because your voice matters.